0: Hello, welcome to the In the Fields podcast, a brand new podcast from St. Martin's in the Fields Episcopal Church in Columbia, South Carolina. In the Fields is a podcast where you'll find St. Martin's out and about in the world, wondering about questions of the Bible and faith together, and maybe eventually even some sermons too. It'll be a grab bag of a whole variety of things, whatever we're interested in talking about at the moment and wherever we might be finding God out there in the fields. My name is the Reverend Caitlin Darnell. I'm the associate rector here at St. Martin's. So there was a moment in the pandemic, probably in around like June, end of May, when it seemed like things were really starting to turn a corner. Case counts were down, activities were starting up again. There were, you know, concerts and sporting events and parties, and it felt like a lot of folks were letting out that big exhale because we'd all been, like, holding our breath for a year and a half. And there was this moment where I found myself thinking that, you know, like, the great lockdown gave me this chance to strip things out of my life that were cluttering it. all the stuff that I did to busy myself or felt obligated to run around and do. And there was also this moment when it felt like the lockdown was ending. And I thought, this is my chance to reconfigure my life. Cut out the stuff that wasn't important to me or wasn't joyful and make room for what is important to me. Right now is when I get to decide what the structure of my life looks like and i also had this moment where i thought like as a priest you know, why church why should church be one of those things that you'd make room for in the structure of your life why do we come to church and i know the delta variant spreading around has really tamped down a lot on that feeling of freedom that a lot of us had But the question still remains, why church? As we figure out more and more how to live with this endemic virus and as we cultivate our lives in spite of it, why do we come to church? We're going to explore this question in a multi-part series called Why Church? Each episode is going to feature a conversation with a different pastor or theologian as we explore all of the different answers for the question. Today, I'm joined by Ed Watson, a lay theologian who is completing his PhD at Yale Divinity School. Ed and I started at Yale at the same time, um, and of course, I finished my MDiv before he finished his whole doctorate. Um and, and all of these things, but I'm I'm so glad Ed is here today. Uh we spent a lot of mornings together after Berkeley morning prayer drinking coffee, and I spent a lot of time pretending like I knew uh what Ed was talking about. Um, Ed, do you wanna tell the good people of St. Martin's what exactly it is you're studying?
1: Thank you so much for inviting me to do this, Caitlin. Um you're welcome. The Cliff Not the, the Cliff Notes version is sort of How does what one believes as a Christian inflect, how one goes about one's life at the moment that's looking at slightly more troubling aspects of the Christian tradition, how it is that Christian doctrine framed the formation of racialized concepts in colonial spaces with a specific view to how theology plays a role in both. Stabilizing and destabilizing contemporary racial hi- hierarchies—that's um, sort of the very, very basic thing. Focusing particularly on um the troubling thing that often the things that we value most are what both provide the motivation for and the alibi for the worst things that we do, and how one like lives with that reality uh, without giving into either despair or blind optimism.
0: That's awesome. So you're. Your doctorate is specifically in theology, right?
1: Yes. Yep.
0: Cool. Yeah. So I invited Ed on today, not just because I love Ed and deeply admire his faith. Um, I mean, Ed is this really brilliant, you know, up and coming theologian, but also I remember Ed would like disappear in the middle of the day and go preach sermons for the Catholic middle school, um, which <laughs> was just like the coolest thing. Um But I invited Ed on today uh, to explore this why church question, um, because I stumbled across a Twitter thread that he made this last week. Um, Ed's a little more holy than the rest of us on Twitter because he sets timers so that he doesn't spend all of his time there like the rest of us. Uh, But in this thread, he was exploring, you know, sometimes when Christians fight, especially in online spaces, there's implicit... Kind of statements of like, well, you should believe this because it's just what you should do. Um, And that maybe sometimes the the better question might be, well, why would you do this or why would you believe that? And it got me thinking about this, you know, little podcast series that we're trying to do about why church. Um, And when I framed the question for the podcast, I very specifically left out any coulds or woulds or shoulds um but it occurred to me that oftentimes when we ask those kinds of why questions the should is implied um that by asking the question we're saying you should be doing this and so let's explore it Um, but i don't i don't know that that's how i want to have the conversation in this space and so i wanted to invite ed on Mm -hmm. just to think about what are these different things mean? What is the language we use around this kind of exploration mean? Um, and then to to get Ed's take on, you know, if like you're studying belief as a a way to justify some of the nastier parts of society. And if that history in Christianity is true and we know it is, then why church in spite of it? Why do we still um mm-hmm. participate in, in church despite the bad things that it's done over the, the centuries. So, Ed, what are, what are all of the answers? <laughs>
1: well, no, um, I've been been thinking about the the question since I, uh, since you um, asked me to come on, just sort of, why church? Um, and one of the really interesting things about the question, it, it has at least two different dimensions to it, On the, at, at least two. On the one, there is the sort of question it's asking on its face, which is this overall over, overarching, um, like why would there be a church? Why should there be a church? Why is there a church? And that can be an, a question you just asked into the ether. <laughs> on the flip side, there's the way you would ask the question to an individual human being, either one who is at church or is thinking about going to church or isn't and just why church to them? And the question takes on a lot of different answers. In What's that funny regard, about
0: podcasting is that it is yeah. both into the ether, and the <laughs> folks who do happen to be listening to it uh, have a very intimate yeah, yeah. sense of the conversation.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So to anyone listening, you might, if you hear sort of the question, "Why church?" Your thoughts might go, "Well, Body of Christ, called to do it." But if you then think of it, someone asking you the question, "Why do you go to church?" Or why would you go to church? You might give the same answer, but there's also a slightly different question being asked, which is what draws you to church? Um, when you are there on a Sunday or in a week, weekday prayer or a Wednesday Eucharist or whatever, what has drawn you there that's made you make this choice? and. In any given congregation, whether it's five people worshiping quietly on a Sunday or 300 people at a cathedral, um, you'll find almost as many different answers to that question as there are people. Um, for some, it might be a deep sense of participation in God's grace through, um, sacramental liturgy for some, they might, there was that piece in an English newspaper recently about uh, Anglicanism, not being about God, blah, 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 which stupid as that overall thing is there are people who go to church who don't have a, a strong sense of faith or any faith at all, but are drawn there by there being a community, a place where they get to know people, um, where they feel at home. You might have people who are drawn because it's a place to feel important where they're not heard anywhere else in um, their life and so on and so forth. Now, one of the things that this like diversification of answers to why church, when it's asked to individuals versus the broad um, thing got me thinking is one of the big mistakes I think we can make with this question is to try and answer the big question by using one of the individual answers and saying, Mm -hmm. this is the right one. So it's like why church? Well, I'm drawn to it because of the, um the need to hear preaching in the gospel and this forms me. And I think that's why everyone else should go as well. That seems to me to be a mistake because what it misses is the fact that the, the gathering of the church, the body of the church is where all of these different whys come together. So when we ask why church on the big, it's the big question. What we're asking is why is there a space where all of these different things that draw people to the same place? Why does that space exist? What is important about that? And one of my professors at Yale, um, Willie Jennings explores this brilliantly in his book after whiteness, which I recommend to anyone listening. One of the things that Christianity can do that is truly good is that it can gather into one place people driven by very, very different needs, desires, wants, hopes, fears, and in gathering, we make the desires of our neighbors part of our own desire. And then that is drawn into the desire that God has for us and the desire that is expressed for us in Christ's being with us, whether through the sacraments, through the love we give each other, so on and so forth. And so for me, a first way to start with that question, why church, is why is it important to have a place where what draws my neighbor to church can become part of how I'm drawn to church without overriding or replacing what draws me, but so that there becomes like a shared sense of belonging being called to a place being called to a community
0: and like vice versa in in that thing that i love and that draws me to church being an inspiration and a sign of hope to someone else as well
1: yeah like if you have a a, and if i remember rightly you are very very um you feel like sort of the love of administering the sacraments of being the one who can like invite people into this divine economy where a small wafer of bread is indeed the body of Christ, which incorporates us all into um, the body of the saints. And there is a real love in that. And then if you have a parishioner who finds it very hard to believe all of that, but does feel a sort of longing for something promised your What draws you to your ministry can become a part of what that parishioner wants. Not even necessarily out of need, but out of like a, a plenitude of hope. Okay. And what they want and how they want it can become part of how you conceive your ministry, part of your vocation. Um, and that all of that is here. I
0: was going to say w- that reminds me of when I was a kid um, and going to the Episcopal Church with my grandma and my mom. you know just absolutely being bewildered at what was happening and why we were doing anything and (laughs) none of it was printed in the bulletin so i couldn't understand um but watching the way that my mom always genuflected in front of the altar or bowed (laughs) in front of the altar um just over time kind of gave me the sense of like wow that's really special and you know if mom like really believes in that or like really has this kind of reverence for it, then it must be something, you know, worth being reverent of in some capacity. And I, I in other spaces, remember, like at, at Yale after um, Marquan chapels, even if we were using one of those like giant, really crusty loaves <laughs> of bread that just absolutely exploded <laughs> when the celebrant yeah. broke it. You would find like some little group of Anglicans there at the end trying to clean up every single little crumb because heaven forbid, like, any piece of Jesus be left on the floor when we were done. Um, which was like very see, silly watching yeah. people eat crumbs off the floor, but at the same time, like, spoke to that kind of what you're talking about that, you know, yep. seeing the faith in others gives you a different sense of your
1: own. And what's re- what was particularly lovely about those scenes is that there was always also around like the edge of the chapel, someone like looking and thinking, what on earth are they doing and why? <laughs> and the 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 fact of both of that that being in the same space, um, and part of like the same sense of being drawn to God in the wild differences of its strangeness. Um, like that is one of the loveliest things about church. Is mm-hmm. why I think we get we get it so horribly, horribly wrong when um the way that when, if I'm, if I'm one of the Anglicans hoovering up the bread, I look over and think, well, clearly they don't take their faith seriously because they aren't looking at this as the body of Christ that must be valued as highly as I do. Or if someone on the side is going, well, clearly they don't take faith seriously because they're locating it in this bread. Versus I share faith with this person who thinks very differently to me. And my faith is enriched by their strangeness, by their difference, by our co-belonging as part of this very strange body. And And regardless
0: of how we believe it happens, we know that Jesus shows up for both of us.
1: Very much so. Yeah. Um, And so church at its best can be a place where that kind of the richness of seemingly incompatible strangeness because Christianity is an extremely strange thing. And we are all very strange as Christians most of the time.
0: I mean, speak for yourself, Ed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been having a lot of fun reading, um, origin this week and the, like the loveliness of all of the different images for, um, God's breathing of the sun, birthing of the sun and the image of the invisible and it's a It's incredible reading this very, very strange set of poetic images philosophically articulated, all in order to make sense of how Christians can think and live and be together, um, in worshiping this. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because the, the rich diversity of origins writing with its all apparent like contradictions manifests how a church community can exist in its rich strangeness. It's very easy to get into like the small cliquey scuffles over how church should be done within a church. And that is just a characteristic feature of human experience. I think at the same time, church can be the place where that risk becomes one of the greatest gifts that Christian spaces have to offer where the mutual enriching of extreme strangeness, which you are drawn to by the desire to express a faith or desire or your feeling of God's desire for you.
0: It sounds like to me, and I feel like this is in your wheelhouse because I remember having a lot of these conversations with you at coffee hours. um, The part of what draws people to church is because we are personally experiencing things so differently and then observing the way that others are experiencing them differently that it helps us understand faith in a god that we don't have adequate language to describe
1: that's a really really good way of putting it that's a really lovely way of putting it
0: it's like by being a part of church you're getting to look at god through like a reverse prism Where you're seeing all of the individual colors of faith, and as like taken together, then it becomes kind of a a glimpse at the pure light of God. Yeah.
1: Or, um, like, I know that I cannot speak God adequately with just my words. I also know that you can't speak God adequately with just your words. Although your I can speak a lot of things
0: adequately with just my words.
1: (laughs) But then the the lovely thing of like sort of, um, hearing you speak and then engaging in conversation and then the reaction that comes between, and then you incorporate more voices into that. So a conversation becomes a choir and you get various harmonies and it's still never, it's never like the fullness in what it is, but in the interaction, the open-endedness, the infinity of dialogue of how people can spark new ways of speaking about God from each other um yeah that and in that one sees with many different sets of eyes and one loves to speak with many different sets of tongues never in a way that absorbs your idiosyncrasy or uniqueness but situates it in relation to um the body of christian believers
0: so i wonder what it looks like right that's a very Beautiful metaphor and beautiful metaphors want me, like, make me want to do things. Um, <laughs> I I wonder what.
1: That's a very good line. Sorry, beautiful great. metaphors make me <laughs> you know, want to do things. There's a, there's an awful lot contained in that. Sorry, and, I, I, and
0: we're just going <laughs> to leave that bit on the table for now. <laughs> um, but it makes me think about. Right, I think a lot of us have also had experiences of being a part of a church community that hurt us in some way. Yeah. Um. And I, I kind of wonder about that in this metaphor too, that, you know, where, where is the, the beauty of others' faith when that faith is something that has wounded you, or even when, you know, Mm -hmm. somebody is part of a community who's so broken that it's not their faith that wounds you, but their sin.
1: Um, Yeah, And often though, it's very hard to disentangle those two in that, um, the point of faith becomes the point of deepest sin. Mm. Um,
0: That's part of what you're. Exploring theologically.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, and the, like the fancy way of saying it is sort of the constitutive ambivalence of human faith, um, constitutive because there's no version of faith that isn't characterized by this, um, ambivalent because it's neither good nor bad, but both possibly all the time, even at its best, it always carries with it the possibility of the wounding and even at its worst there is something of what it should be in there is the sort of the most, the most damaging things are the things that contain a real core of truth in them, because those are solid and they can actually hurt. Anyway, sorry. Um, that's drifting slightly further away from the question, which is the reality of church though,
0: like why church, even when it is you know, containing those kind of impurities of, of sort. And we know that church in a way, always will.
1: first, so this doesn't answer the question, but I think it is an important thing to have as context. The first thing is that there is no community that doesn't have this feature. Um, you, every space that is set up for the safety of those who have been wounded carries with it its own violences, its own characteristic risks. You find, um, the small pettiness of the vestry in a significant number of liberation movements, any given nonprofit, um, any given, um, support network carries with it the same risks. What is?
0: Well, sure. You mean to tell me that yeah. people are always people?
1: Amazingly. Yes. And the, often it's our search for purity that drives the greatest harm. Um, and that sort of the desire for something which cannot be what we don't want it to be. Or that uh, say the cannot be what has been killing people is the better way to put it. Cause saying what we don't want it to be makes it sound personal arbitrary, like There are very, very good reasons for not wanting church to be the horrific thing that it has been for many, but the drive to find something which cannot be what has been doing this violence. That's things get really tricky there because like you say, people are always people and the same things that draw us to God are often the things that draw us to being the worst versions of ourselves. I'm extremely intellectually curious. Um, It draws me to a kind of haughtiness, to an arrogance or unwillingness to listen to other people. And that is one of the ways that I can most effectively hurt people. The, The same thing that makes my life joyful in a lot of ways and can make me like a real gift to others is what makes me the worst of myself sometimes. And it's the same with church. It's the same with um sort of activist communities it's the same with hella dominos club if you find one um (laughs) that kind of thing and so like that's not an answer to the question saying why church because of this because things do actually get heightened at church intensified because unlike a dominos club admittedly i have never been to a dominos club so it might be the same as this you're dealing with things that are nominally of absolute and ultimate importance to the people there like this is not necessarily incidental, what has drawn someone to a church is probably the most fundamental part of who they are in a very significant way, whether obviously or not. And so the harm can be intensified because there's usually in most churches, a lot of open wounds that are not named on the surface.
0: In part because church is one of those places where you can show up and let your wounds air out a little as well.
1: Yeah, ways you can't
0: um, in a lot of other spaces
1: yeah yep um and in most churches I've been in there have been people who use their woundedness as an excuse to wound there are people who use the fact of having healed as removing themselves from a particular space there are people who that that desire to like feel valued can become a desire to dominate a space, to claim the kind of authority in church that is refused to one elsewhere. Um, and to my mind, there is no version of church, which cannot become this. But, and this is a very big, but, um, one of the hopes of grace and the the characteristic feature of the gospel is that it is precisely the worst in us that is and can be redeemed, um, for the healing of ourselves and others. It doesn't happen automatically. It's not like the sort of, uh, as Dean McGowan would always say, like with magic hands of the sacrament. nor is the sacrament just like, um, a magic, magic wafer and magic drink that suddenly makes us all nice. Um
0: had Dean McCowan on in the last episode, so people will hear that in his voice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I won't, won't imitate his Australian accent because I always do a terrible job. But, um, but yeah, there is a way of framing what it is to be in the church community that can name these risks and not obviate them, but use the space of precarity as an opportunity to turn what drives us to be cruel to each other towards grace and towards love, the the insecurities which lead us to blot other people out into vulnerabilities that make us open to people who love us, the sort of arrogances that we have into gifts that can be lived out in service of others. And again, all, all of this if done effectively, which there is unfortunately, again, no rule for as far as I can tell, um, in my many years of wisdom on this earth, (laughs) um, yeah, sorry to all listeners. I'm very conscious that I do not necessarily know what I'm talking about. These are all guesses, um, that this can be a part of precisely how our lives are taken up in the lives of others as gathered together in the body of Christ. Um,
0: so it's like in this bumping together in church, it <laughs> polishes us in the ways that shows our greatest beauty. And also yeah. in the complications of bumping up together in community, particularly over a long period of time of really being a part of a community um, yeah. also reveals to us just how deep grace goes, yeah. just how um, how deep God's love and forgiveness and healing and mercy soak into the human soul and the human existence.
1: Often the hardest thing to do is not to love other people's worst features. That's usually actually relatively easy, nor is it to accept that we can be loved for worst features, which are also grounded in our best. But to accept that our being loved by other people for who we are is a reason to love ourselves and being in church is one of the spaces in the world that can be directly geared towards accepting that, that the love we are given for who we are is a good enough reason to love who we are as someone who can love the person sitting next to and. There's, there's a, there's a masochistic way of expressing this, like the, um, vaguely like how, while seeing like macho Christian nonsense, sorry, if anyone is listening, who goes like, yeah. And if we go into the space of like danger and risk, and we take on all the hurt and blah, blah, blah. Like that, that's a very unhelpful way of framing it, I think, because it makes, it treats lightly the real genuine hurt that comes from church spaces and sometimes you really do just need to leave and get out of a particular church and sometimes healing from that is difficult to the point of impossible but a reason to have hope in communities of Christians gathered together for the worship of God which when it really comes down to it that is what a church is I think it's because it can be a place where we learn to accept the love we're given as reason to accept ourselves as loved and where we do the same with others all in light of this joyous and beautiful gift that is given in the word becoming flesh
0: and in that love that we learn to have for ourselves by having and seeing love for others that god is revealed in that that yeah. maybe at the end of the day, that's all any of us are looking for is to find God. In
1: those, um, in those homilies that I used to go give to the middle schoolers, um, the one, li- one of the lines I was went back to was just the love of God is given in the love that we give each other, um, simple, you can comprehensible for 10 to 14 year olds, but I think relatively powerful. Um, and yeah, I think that accords with what you just said. It comes back neat around summation. on one of those yes. funny
0: language things where that's such a simple statement. And then when you spend decades and decades, um, and for those of us that are not the two of us, even more decades than that, um, living it, you realize just how big of a big and complex of a statement that really ends up being.
1: Well, um, we're getting to the end of time here, but I want to, in the strangest of places, um, and you will laugh when I tell you who I'm about to cite at you, um, so Hegel,
0: um,
1: <laughs> Hegel I was infamous- waiting. <laughs> um it, it was
0: going to be that or Wittgenstein, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, towards the end of, end of one of his, um, encyclopedia logic, which is this mammoth, labyrinthine, incomprehensible thing. There's this passage of strikingly beautiful clarity. Um, I read this for an exam recently. And he's going on about like the absolute idea and how you can talk whole nonsense about it and so so forth, which he may have demonstrated himself, who knows. Um, and there's this line, the absolute idea is like an old man who speaks the same religious words as a child. Only when the old man speaks them, it is with, with the meaning of his whole life. Um, and there's something at age, at the age of 70, you still say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Same as one did when one was eight. And it's the same words, and they do indeed mean the same thing, but they've been saturated with all of the experience of life, all of the meaning, all of the joys, pains, disappointments, rejoicing. Saturated
0: with understanding. Yeah. And story.
1: And with the life that you have shared with everyone around you. And your meaning has become part of everyone's meaning over that time. See, it's exactly like you say, um, simple sentences that take on a whole world and life of meaning. And often they do so in the, over the course of a lifetime spent in many different relationships with places that we call church.
0: I think that is a really beautiful note to, to end this on. Thank you so much, Ed. It was really good catching up with you, and I'm just sorry that it was so late in the afternoon it wasn't over coffee.
1: Yeah, no, no not at all. Um, a very nice way to spend 30, 40 minutes in at the start of the week. Um, and blessings to everyone listening to this and to all of, uh, Caitlin's congregants. You're extremely lucky to have a very, very wonderful priest.
0: You tell lies, but that's okay. (laughs) I love you friend. Thank you so much.